0: Oh, yeah. And if you let your boy BC digress for a second, I got something new to tell you about. How about the all new 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe, right? How about a vehicle equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family? And if you're looking for features, the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe has you covered, like available H-Trek all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some of that mud. And with standard third-row seating, you can make sure the whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads make sure no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Make sure you can worry less about the rugged terrain to come. Want to learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe? Head on over to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. It's a 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Hi, everybody. It is 1.23 uh, in the morning, East Coast time, on the 13th of June, 2021, and it is time for the official morning combat ufc 263 post fight show my name is luke thomas i am one half of the hosting duo for morning combat which is a podcast that is brought to you by cbs and uh showtime all right ufc 263 just ended moments ago we have all the results we have all the analysis there's a tweet up right now Uh, i have linking to this video if you want to leave a question for me to get to Put it in the comments there. You can't miss it. I'm at L Thomas News. All the information's in the description box below, or at least it should be. And um, yeah. So there you have it. All right. Um, if you don't want spoilers, now's your time to get out of here. But for everybody else who wants to get into the nitty-gritty details, let's do that now, shall we? <laughs> All right. If you are new here, please subscribe to the channel. If you are not new here, either way, I suppose, please give the video a thumbs up. We're looking to drive some subscriptions. We're pretty close to getting to at least our very first goal, but we need your help to get there. We do a show Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 11 a.m. in the East, live, plus all kinds of interviews, post-fight shows like this, um, a lot of different stuff. Okay, I have my glasses somewhere. I'll put them on if I need them, but I've been wearing them all day, and and you know, uh, somehow they're not helping that much. All right. Well, they are, but I'm too blind for it to fucking matter. Um, Okay, so I'm assuming if you're here, you're okay with the spoilers. I'll turn this off so it doesn't super annoy you. Um, Let's get to results, all right? So UFC 263 is now officially in the books. We'll go for about an hour today, by the way. Uh, Okay, this took place at the Gila River Arena in Glendale, Arizona. The crowd today sucked. They were not good. Um, Don't know if that's typical of Arizona crowds generally. I've been to Arizona a few times, had a great time every time. Everyone was really nice to me. But the crowd tonight, should be noted, authoritatively sucked the horn. They were not a good MMA crowd. We'll get back to that a little bit later. Let's start with the main event for UFC 263. The middleweight title was up for grabs tonight as champion Israel Adesanya defended... His title against Marvin Vittori. He wins via clean sweep, 50-45, on all three judges' scorecards. Marvin Vittori couldn't take one round off of him. In many ways, this was actually a worse performance for him than the first fight, where he at least got that third round. Uh, okay, so what happened? Uh, there are a few fighters in the UFC where if I, I, I found that if I do enough tape study on them... Their games become very memorable to me. Max Holloway is that way to me. There's a couple other ones. Um, Israel Adesanya is a big one for me. I've done more, him and Max Holloway, I've probably done more tapes that he won than anybody else. If you go to my personal YouTube channel, which just has my name in it, you can see there's a lot there. Um, and of course, I did some for MMA fighting and for Showtime as well. But what were the lessons to me? A couple of things. Number one, um, I, I've been saying it all week and I'll repeat it again. I think that the fight today proves that, but the real whole record proves it. It is true that if you can pull Adesanya away from the fence or catch him in open space somewhere, his takedown defense is not—it's okay, but it's not like his best defensive asset. If you push him directly against the fence line where he's there working, you know, splitting his base, whizzering, underhooking the whole nine yards, he's—he's uh, he's very difficult to take down. And you saw that there were times where Vittorio would like run him into the fence and kind of corkscrew it before he got there. He had a little bit of success with that, caught the kick in open space, proof of concept. Um, There's a couple of times where he would press him into the fence and then pull him away and then change directions, which is exactly the same kind of thing he did in the first fight. And the first fight was actually very successful in that third round. You saw him try it here. It worked once, but mostly failed. My point being is the general th- truth about Adesanya's takedown defense more or less held. It was pretty close to perfect, not quite, but pretty close to perfect Along the fence line, a little bit more porous out in open space. However, I did not see a real growth or maturation in some of the ways that Marvin was approaching this. I mean, again, to pull Adesanya off the fence and then uh, you can level change through the takedown itself, turn him a different direction, whatever you want to do. Those things worked the first time. He brought them back. I, I didn't see any modifications to them to deal with the kind of things Adesanya was going to do. It's like, oh, that worked the first time. Let's just try it again. I didn't see a lot of change or adaptation either to get to those places or then to do a lot differently once he got there. So that, I thought, was really weird. But the first part I want to say is the takedown defense basically held in the ways that we knew. I also will say, um, and the second part, that sort of feeds into it, you lost sight a little bit, I think we all did, about how dynamic a fighter Adesanya can be when you when he goes to 205, and that's a lot of reasons for that, that's not his normal weight class, I know he's won as high as heavyweight, but I think middleweight's obviously going to be his best weight class, certainly in MMA anyway, he's just much more of a dy- dynamic fighter, Um Against Blahovic, when he got taken down, he just couldn't really do a whole lot. And then we did the tape study on him for my personal channel. We went through the Gastelum fight, the Vittoria, the first Vittoria fight, obviously, and then the Blahovic fight. And what you saw was that at middleweight, he just did a lot more, took a lot more grappling chances, had, just was much more, more of a dynamic force. Um, Defensively or offensively when he needed to be Putting feet in the hips of Kelvin Gastelum To get him off of him You saw a lot of that today Now some of that was a new tricks he was building in A lot of he was really planning on like weak control For reversals Um, uh, He did that I think twice Once he had his back taken and then the other was for off the takedown. He just immediately reversed it. So he really had good time. For a guy like that, a lot, that second one in particular, both of them really involved timing, uh, among a few other things. But if you've got good timing striking, that means you've got good timing generally, um, those are going to be opportunities for him. But th- that that's what, to me, the story of this was, was that Vittori is actually pretty defensively sound. He, he didn't really get caught with any huge shots. I mean, he got laid... Into with the leg kicks over and over again But, you know, think about how many shots up here he blocked Or got out of the way of, or ducked and rolled under You know, it was a fair amount I think Adesanya didn't have like a real signature punch in this fight Even though he had a 6-inch reach advantage But what he did have was, um, again, as I mentioned Much more of a dynamic MMA grappler at middleweight than he is at 205 He added some new things for sure and then on top of that, the reality about his takedown defense kind of held, So plus his ability to sort of scramble kind of aided what he was able to do uh, altogether. But but that to me was was really sort of the story of the fight um, about why he was able to win. Leg kicks are a thing that people don't talk a lot about without Asanya, but they're actually really critical to his game. They're the, They were the most impactful thing he did in this fight. They were the most impactful thing he did in the Romero fight. Like when fights are kind of close, the leg kicks sometimes end up being not just the most important work he's done, but the most voluminous as well. I think that was the case here. I, again, I have to look at the striking totals to be sure and, and see what they say, but that's often the case. And, you know, we sort of associate him with flashy kicks, and uh, he was trying this combination. You got to see it over and over again. He, and he hit it eventually, uh, although not super cleanly, but it was the jab, and then he would lean off and then try to get the uppercut to come at an angle, and then he would throw the leg kick back from the other side. Uh, you know, he was he was just eating Vittori alive like that. But I want to go into something that I think is just really important to point out here. Coming off of that Blahovich loss and then moving into this Vittori rematch, I saw a lot of people saying that this was a lot like the Blahovich fight, you know, just at middleweight. How would Adesanya deal with that? And I got to tell you, I understand some of that framing. I don't think that's a unfair comparison in totality. And again... As somebody who makes comparisons sometimes at MMA, and people are like, oh, but these things are different, I, I don't necessarily always mean them in a totalizing way. Still, I, I think it's a fundamental misreading. And I'll tell you why. The biggest piece, there's a couple of pieces, but the biggest piece is that if the reason why Arasanya lost to Blachowicz is Blachowicz was actually passive in many parts of this fight, Unassuming. And he backed up a lot. Part of the reasons he was able to get takedowns because he, was, he would have his back to the fence. Adesanya would move into him, and then he would use the space behind Adesanya to run down a takedown. Open space that was one. Adesanya walked into a lot of traps that uh, Blahovich was setting on the feet. So Blahovich is doing a, a lot different. Yes, there were times Blahovich marched him down, or you know, Blahovich is famous for those blitzes he likes to do. But in general, that was the reason why he was able to get the upper hand. Like, they, you know, there was a pretty even fight. One was a little bit ahead. And obviously in the wrestling department, uh, Blahovich had a big advantage. But on the feet um, that, and, and how he approached tactically his spatial awareness, that was a big deal for Blahovich, right? That's one of the reasons why he is very, very capable. He's got a fucking just Armageddon when he balls up the fist. But he's very patient. He'll back up. He'll, he'll let you come into him. Like, he's not a marauder. That is not the case with Marvin Vittori. Marvin Vittori moved into Adesanya for 25 minutes. For 25 minutes. Listen, against a lot of guys, they can't take that heat. And especially for somebody like Vittori, who I do think is, for the most part, he's he's offensively limited, but pretty defensively sound, you know? It's hard to land clean on that guy. Leg kicks notwithstanding, but, you know, sort of waist up. It, it, he, he's, he, he not only has a good chin, he doesn't take a, a tremendous amount of abuse for the most part. Um, But when a guy just marches into someone like Adesanya it, it, It's going to be very Unless they're just really dynamic It's going to be really hard for them to beat him It's going to be really hard He can just plan what you're going to do uh, And so that means he can make a lot more choices Calmly and confidently about what he needs to do You're just presenting the same weapon Over and over and over and over again uh, obviously, you know he was trying to feint his way on the inside. He was trying to do what he could to to disrupt the rhythm or whatever he was he was trying to grope for there in the dark a little bit. But that's that's a really hard way to fight Adesanya. And then if you press into all these guys, they keep pressing into him. They press into him, press into him, Gastelum pressing into him, Brunson pressing into him. You know, I mean, the list goes on. Blahovich was the first one who took a step back. Uh, and that to me is just—it's a—it's a—it's a complete and really not just a difference between them, but it, it almost makes it almost not quite, but it almost makes the comparison uh, between Vittori and Blahovic meaningless. The second thing I would say is about um, Vittori, you know, people are like, "Oh, can he learn from what Blahovic did?" Well, for sure. There are things to pick up on. Pick up on from that again, the spatial awareness and the employment of back of like negative space it was a big deal. Although he, that that was a lesson that he decided to learn, but the other part was like credit to Vittori. Vittori was really the first. I mean, the Wil, the Wilkinson fight is whatever. It's his first fight in UFC. But to me, Vittori back in 2018, whenever that was, that was the first time I saw uh, somebody do something different without a sign as related to takedowns, pulling him off of the fence, changing directions. Right, all the things we've been talking about. It's actually Blahovic who built off of that. Now again, every time somebody iterates something, you can learn from them even if you're the originator or the first one in line or whatever, there's always stuff you can pick up on. But like to me, people got the narrative backwards. So in learning this, it's like, what did he learn from Blachowicz? Well, okay, some stuff, but this was the first guy to really have some success. He took a round from Adesanya in their first fight in that third round. By virtue of the things I'm pointing out, Blahovic just built on top of that. So I really did not agree with a lot of the comparisons there. There are some other ones that are kind of meaningful, but I just think this was a showcase tonight. You already knew Adesanya was a good striker. You already knew he was pretty good with defensive movement. The other part was I had talked about it relentlessly. Golly, I cannot believe Vittori fought the way he did now that I'm going through it. What did we talk about in the lead-up to this fight over and over and over and over again? I did it on morning combat. I did it fucking months ago on my own tape study. One of the ways Blahovich was able to get him, one was backing up and then using the negative space to push into Adesanya when he wanted to make a blitz on him. The other one was he would throw either a certain kind of strike or at a certain rhythm or at a certain number to get Adesanya in space. Not against the fence line directly, but in space uh, first of all, he would double leg him. I didn't see a lot of uh, sort of power doubles, um, but not the double, not the sort of scoop double the way that Blahovich went for it. But the other part was that Blahovich would get him moving with his feet planted, right? So a lot of trunk movement. Now, you saw a lot of that tonight with Vittori, but what was the difference? Once again, in ordinary scenarios, if you're backed up against the fence, it's not like boxing ropes, right? Imagine I have boxing ropes behind me. What would happen if I lean into the boxing ropes? This would happen. I can lean through them. Tyson Fury, can, he doesn't want to spend a lot of time on the ropes, but Tyson Fury is amazing. And you can see this in the Otto Wallin fight, where Fury would lean against the ropes and then, and then pass the, I think the ring apron, and the punches would go right in front. Against the cage, you can't do that. Once you touch it, It's like the chair is locked, right? Let's lock the chair. Okay, chair is locked. Now what happens when you back up? I can't move. Okay? So ordinarily, when you get backed up into situations like that, that's a bad thing. But against Vittori, in this particular case, with the skills Adesanya has, it's fine. Number one, he's really good at at, at moving and juking. Two, he can't get that far off balance by, by virtue of how close he is to the fence. He can move but he can't, get, he can't get too reckless with it, and it doesn't matter anyway, because if he's already against the fence, once you press into him, now you're in the territory where his takedown defense is his best. Not a great game plan, I, I'm afraid to say, for Marvin Vittori. Um, I respect the growth that he has shown. I think at 27, maybe 28 years of age, I don't think we've seen the last of him as a real contender, in this organization and in this weight class, perhaps maybe the next one we'll see. He did he did look fucking big? You know, he's a big, strong guy, but I did not see a ton of lessons learned either from that Blahovich fight to the extent that there were some there. Frankly, even from his first fight, it felt to me like he was a more polished version of that, but not enough polish to make up the difference between them. Uh, he and Adesanya. To me, that's really the reason why uh why he lost. He couldn't effectively stop the he couldn't effectively secure the takedown and hold it. He couldn't really effectively secure the takedown for the most part. Uh and he had trouble landing. He was reacting to Adesanya. He had no answer for the leg kicks. And he got pieced up. You know, it wasn't a tremendous beating, right? He didn't get, you know, annihilated, but Five rounds of distance and uh that's all she wrote, man. That to me is really the story of the fight. It's amazing to me that Vittori um You know, I wanna I, I wanna be very clear about this. I wanna be very fair to him. It's it can't be easy to fight Adesanya Uh I, I respect how far he's come. I I I you know, I thought Whitaker deserved the title shot, but if they weren't gonna do that, um, I was okay with this. I thought this was a good test after the Blahovich fight to see, you know, exactly where is Adasanya's where's his head at? Where where where's everything at? Um, I didn't. I really did not like Vittori's approach to this. I really, really, really didn't. And I think that I, 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 (laughs) I'm gonna just keep saying it. I guess until um it becomes more widely adopted, someone else more famous needs to say this than me. I'm not saying Adesanya can't be beat by the guys who press into him constantly. Right? I don't just mean the takedowns, although that's part of it, but like constantly trying to walk him down. I'm not saying that he can't be beat that way. That's not the argument. But I don't think that's the best way to beat him because his weaknesses are very limited in that range, and most of his strengths are still there. Right. So this constant pressure into him, it makes him... Throw more. Let's look at some of the numbers from uh, Fight Metric. By the way, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but Fight Metric uh, is owned by Zufa now. They are not an independent company anymore. Actually, it hasn't been that way for years, so I'm told. I've never said that but personally, but uh, it's true. All right, let's look at these numbers. So, let's compare the Blahovich fight, shall we, to tonight's. We'll go round by round, okay? Just in striking volume, for whatever that is worth. Adesanya landed 18 in the first round. This is against Vittori. He landed 18 in the first round, 28 in the second, 19 in the third, 20 in the fourth, and they both had pretty low output. Uh, Only 11 in the fifth for Adesanya, just 9 for Vittori, so not a lot there. He is credited with a takedown, but um, I guess he didn't do a whole lot with it. Okay, so 18 28 19 20 11. So exception of the 5th round around 20, a little bit higher than that or so, right? 20-ish. What was he against? Blahovic. 13 21 21 11 12. So he had two rounds of that fight where he was he was about in the same range. But he had three that were 11 12 and 13. So I think he had a lower amount of output. Let's see, he totaled 182 attempted strikes in the fight with Blahovich. He totaled 208 here. So not a huge difference, but about, yeah, about 30. Um, 30 and some change. 36, I think, is how many is the difference, right? Am I, or no, 26. or what, what is it? Hold on. Let me see one more time. 182. So it would be, uh, yeah, 24. Wait, my math is all messed up. Yes. 18 plus 8, so it would be 26. Yeah, it was still, almost 30 strikes is a difference. Um, so he was just more, when you when you constantly press into him, he's going to be able to reset the angle because he's going to do all of his stuff. You might land on him a little bit. Uh, you know, he's not impervious. But he's able to get the lateral movement going, which forces you to reset. He can intercept like a son of a bitch. And then, you know, those leg kicks, they come. You guys got to pay attention to them. Sometimes they come as part of a combo. As I mentioned, jab, getting off, uppercut, and then he would throw the leg kick as the cutting sort of finisher there. But a lot of times what he would do is he would kind of move into a space and feint something. Vittori backs up and then sees that there's no threat, walks back, and as soon as he steps into him, um, Adesanya would catch him. He does it over and over. It does that, not just to him, most everyone he fights. He'll faint, back him off. As soon as they begin to move back into him, he cracks him over and over again. So uh, good news for for Adesanya. Back in the winning track, I think, as I mentioned before, showing some growth, getting those two reversals was big, at least the ability to stand up. Um, I think he did it on maybe even three occasions. There was one where he corkscrewed to get along the fence line, which was pretty great. So I definitely feel like he's been working on that. I still think he's got some vulnerabilities out in open space that he just won't have against the fence line, but they're not as quite as pronounced as they were before. I do think, and I said it before, if you guys go back to the tape I did, I thought that when Blahovic beat him, you noticed that Blahovic wasn't just level with him on top, he was kind of past him, and you almost saw Adesanya almost in a scenario where he was kind of like, like almost getting pushed and smushed over. You know, when a when a bigger, stronger grappler, that was like a, one of those signs to me, it was like you're dealing with a bigger man here. That's what it looks like when a bigger man goes against a smaller man if their skills are roughly equal-ish. You know, you, you see a guy get kind of smushed and kind of flattened out in a direction. That's what you saw there. You didn't see that here, you didn't see it in the Kelvin Gastelum fight. Um, just he's so much more of a dynamic presence grappling. At 185 pounds, it suits him much better, especially when like there's a skill gap, right? Like the grappling is not the thing he's best at. The thing he's best at is striking. So minimizing any weight advantage to the extent that the fight takes place in those areas really makes a, a big difference for him. And I, I think you saw that tonight. Um, Whitaker fight has got to be next, no doubt about it. Uh, I don't know exactly how that will go. Adesanya wants it in Auckland. I would love for for that fight to take place there. The last one was in, what, Melbourne? I think that's right. Maybe it was Sydney. I don't remember. Uh, where was that other one? Now I want to know. It was in Melbourne. Yeah, back in October of uh, 2019 against Robert Whitaker. Uh, so I guess that'll be next. I don't know where it will be. Um, I think Robert Whitaker's looked the best he's looked um, since that fight, you know, it'll be tremendous, but this was a reminder that like, uh, I saw people say like, you know, Luke Rockhold might give Adesanya a tough time at, at 205 pounds. I'm oh, sorry, at 185 pounds. It'd be interesting. Certainly on the floor, he's going to have greater control and he's going to have really good passing. He's got very, very good passing. Um, he's got a good mount. Luke, Luke Rockhold's got a phenomenal ground game, but he's got to like beat some guys, so he can get to a point where that's even like a relevant th- thing. Like, do I think that like there's a skill differential in that particular way with Luke Rockhold having the advantage over Adesanya? Sure, sure I do. But before that can even become a real thing, he's got he's got some work to do. You know, uh, I don't want to dismiss the idea that there are vulnerabilities there, but I'd also want to make sure that if we're talking about what's going to happen with them, we're talking about a scenario that is plausible given the present circumstances. So, phenomenal win by Israel Adesanya And a real back-to-form moment um, You know, walking out with the Hanya mask And talking the way he was talking You could tell he was believing strongly In his uh, opportunity to win here And I'll say it one more time for Vittori 27, I believe he's 27, at most 28 uh, He is, where is the age here on this fucking thing 27 He doesn't turn 28 till September You know he, you've not seen the last of him in big, important fights, and you've not seen the last of him getting his hand raised either. Don't lose sight of that. All right, if you have any questions for it, check me out on Twitter. Um, I'll answer. Let's go to the second one. I, I just don't know. <laughs> I don't know what else to say about this one. How about this? We have a new flyweight champion, folks. Brandon Moreno defeats Devison Figueredo via rear naked choke, 226 of the third round. I mean, what a what a brilliant moment! It's almost as if like, you guys, if you, I don't, I don't, I don't know how dated a reference this is anymore because I'm fucking old and I don't know what's cool. But if you guys have never seen the movie Rudy, it's about this like long shot guy who wants to play football at Notre Dame, which is one of the big powerhouses here in the United States, and uh, he literally gets to play like on the last eligible play of his entire fucking career just that is all he ever gets to do and everyone in the world tells him no and he actually gets a sack um uh, in his only play as a uh, football player for Notre Dame this isn't like you know this is an exaggeration but it feels a little bit like for whatever this is worth brand it feels like Rudy you know won the Heisman or something you know that's how good it feels to watch Brandon Moreno achieve in the way that he has i mean there's just so many nice things to say but let me say something first about this folks if you are new to mma or even if you're not that new either way it is worth saying out loud 15 20 years ago look let's say 15 years ago around the time of the ultimate fighter the idea that you could get a fighter born raised not entirely but largely trained in mexico and that they would become a ufc champion number one And number two, that they would beat a Brazilian doing it was more or less unfathomable. It's not because Mexicans aren't good fighters. Far from it. We know from boxing that they are rocked, ribbed uh, fighters and uh, one of the best fight communities on earth. That's a true statement about the Mexican uh, people. But Dana White did an interview years and years ago. And when they thought about expanding they said, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna follow the boxing model. So where was boxing big when they took over around 2001? UK, United States, and Mexico. And they thought that that would be the path to where they wanted to go, and what they discovered was MMA's footprint, at that time anyway, was just entirely different from that. It followed much more along the pro wrestling model. Canada was pretty far advanced at the time. Brazil is obviously just a fucking powerhouse in the world of MMA. Right, uh, And so they had to kind of redo things and building that UK market took a long time and, and building this Mexican market took a long time and it's not just them, it's a lot of players but still they've had a really key hand in, in growing it. And, and you have to say folks, this is a huge moment, a huge moment in not just for the Mexican MMA fans, for Mexican MMA, this is a huge moment in MMA. Dude, the world is getting a little bit flatter. When you've got a, a fucking young 28-year-old Brandon Moreno from Mexico, frankly, kind of putting it on Figueiredo, right, from Brazil, uh, and so Moreno wins and he's your rightful champion, this was unfathomable 15 years ago. When I started getting into MMA like coverage on my own around that time, you could never have imagined that. And the good news is for us, even if you're not Mexican, is that when you see the talent pools in all these other places begin to develop, dude, it makes MMA better. We are richer as a fight community. We have more. We have things like tonight because of the growth of Mexican MMA. And there's going to be another country that's going to grow and become something pretty special too. I don't know which one's going to be next. Again, MMA is sort of charting its own footprint and its own path independent of the kind of uh, you know uh, boxing world as we understand it. Um, but this is a huge, huge moment—not not quite passing of the torch, but more like lifting. Like They—they've arrived in a way. This isn't to say that Mexico is going to be as good as Brazil. I, 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 it's going to be hard for any country to be as good as what Brazil has. But I just—I just think it is important to note here today how monumental this is. And if this kid can keep winning and stay champion. God only knows what he could do to kickstart that market and make it not just a place where more fighters come from, but you know, make it a place where more shows go to. And there's native stuff there that comes out of it that's even bigger and better than what it already produces. Like folks don't talk about it, but like you know, a lot of Latin American women go to this camp of Alexa Grasso's in Mexico um, because it's just a great place to train. It's ahead of the curve. It's a great pipeline into Bellator and UFC. Like There's amazing things happening in Mexican MMA that just don't get a lot of coverage. Nandy and Segura and I were talking about it when I saw him last in Miami. All right, so that preamble out of the way. How did he do it? I, he just took it to Figueredo. Figueredo has had a habit of being a little bit spotty at times or, I don't know, disinterested or inconsistent. Whatever word you want to use to describe. That was definitely one of these nights. Like The, the night he came out against... Benavidez in the rematch. I mean, he fucking crushed him, right? Like, he was just on a mission. I didn't exactly see that tonight, but part of the reason why you didn't see it, because I think he tried to will himself into it at times, part of the reason why you didn't see it, though, was Moreno was just on a mission. He wanted it more. I firmly believe that. He was getting off first with his strikes. He was pushing Figueredo around. He was attacking him without fear. In multiple dimensions of the game, not just at range, kind of safely kicking his legs and circling around. No, dude, going for takedowns, trying to take the back. In fact, that's exactly what he did, which was actually a really interesting moment. He had a he had the takedown on Figueredo dead to rights. So Figueroa, rather than give that to him, turned, turned away, right? Because they're facing each other. So Figueroa actually turns away. So now they're now they're just uh, to back, right? Like like a back take, and he finishes it off from there and gets it done and. It's just so impressive because the first fight, you know, Figueroa had that controversial point taken in the first one, right? Where if that doesn't happen, you know, is, do we even have a rematch? I I don't know, right? Because part of the reason part of the reason we had a rematch was yes, it was competitive and fun and crazy, but it was also a draw, right? It, it wouldn't have been a draw. Like would they have done it again? I don't know, but it happened. So you felt like in watching the first one, Moreno definitely had his moments. Definitely was game. But I felt like in terms of some of the things Figueredo was doing, Moreno was playing just a little bit of catch-up in the first fight. Not this time. Not this time. He wasn't playing catch-up at all. He took it right to Figueredo from the opening fucking bell, man. He is an excellent boxer. He's a dynamic grappler. He makes quick decisions in multiple phases about what he wants to do without much error. He's a special fighter. I was talking to Danny Segura earlier tonight um, on WhatsApp. And, you know, I don't know exactly how long Moreno will hold this title. You know, I I don't mean to take anything from him. I just mean, um, you know, it's tough to be a UFC champion, right? It's tough to get there. It's tough to hold it. Like, it's not easy. And at 28, I don't even think he's at his peak. Like, he's got time. But if he can stave off, you know, a couple of contenders here or there, And he gets to like you know age thirty, dude. You might I I I don't know what kind of figure we're gonna see there, but if he can be, think about this, if he could be a quarter as popular as Conor McGregor, just a quarter inside Mexico, that could do not just unbelievable things for him, but for that market, for those people, for that community, for us. You know, it'd be it'd be fucking huge. It'd be huge. I was so he arrived tonight. I was so impressed with Brandon Moreno's. Just I'm gonna stick it to you game plan it, it you know he was able to affect change in ways that Vittori wasn't right Vittorio was pressing into the guy but not having the results that he wanted. Moreno was pressing into Figueroa, and Figueroa just didn't know what to do with it. Um, I, I need to go back and watch the fight to get a keener sense of exactly all the things he was doing right but I just remember watching it and thinking he's not letting Figueroa set the tone come to him first he is jabbing his way he is leg kicking his way he is pressuring his way he is not afraid to swing he is not afraid to take down he is not afraid to get in scrambles and that, that that lack of fear that lack of you know encumbrance by expectation that lack of I don't I don't give a shit what you're good at doesn't matter to me I'm gonna do what I'm good at and I'm gonna just absolutely with full faith and confidence, go in there and just attack you and that's a dude that is what he did let me see some of the numbers from him i would for the first fight especially i would love to see that let's see all right here okay so in the first fight let's take a look at that one there was a total uh let's look it was just there was this one only went to the third round so it wins me a rear naked choke in the third so let's look at the first round. Figueroa they both landed twenty-eight to fifty-five. Let's okay. So this time around, wow, Moreno landed twenty-five. You know how many Figueroa landed in the first round? Seven. They cut Moreno cut his output by what a fourth almost by by seventy-five percent almost, not quite. Uh, let's see second round. Figuero thirty-four of the first fight. Second round tonight. Thirteen. One third. Almost. Round three. Granted it was a full round last time. This time it was not. Figuredo twenty-one. This time four. Brandon Moreno twelve. Brandon Moreno had less than him in the second. It was just ten to thirteen. Um, but had a ton of control time, three minutes and and some change of control time. He's credited with the takedown, and then he just absolutely stuck it to him in the, uh, in the third. So a slight rebound in the second for Figueroa here, but in the first and the third, just completely outgunned. Just never let the guy settle in, never let him get a rhythm going, constantly keeping him on the back foot, making him guessing. Dude, it's, it happens so many times where, listen, it's easier said than done. It's very easy for some jamoke like me to be like, this is what you have to do to win. Like, they're like, yeah, we fucking know that, but it does... It does bear repeating that the, when I would look at these high level fights and I look at why guys win, a lot of times, a lot of times you can tell their coach made a list of like, okay, so what is this guy good at? All right. Now, what do we have to do to take away the conditions where he can employ those things? How do we just rearrange the weather? Right? So that we get the best kind of plant growth. That's really the way they kind of think about it a little bit. And the better teams, the better tacticians, the better fighters, yes, they win because they land big punches or you know they have good output or they have good wrestling or whatever. But more than that, like one of the reasons why Adesanya wins a lot or Max Holloway wins a lot is they look at what the opponent needs. What are the things that they need, the conditions in place that they need to succeed? Let's just strip them of all of it. And now what can you do? And you see they have these impotent partial games that are just not really all that formidable. There's something to them. They're not, like, these are not chumps by any stretch of the imagination, but they're not nearly as formidable um, under those conditions. And so, Brandon Moreno, let's see the rankings here very quickly, if I may, just sort of see what he might be up against. Um, frankly, I'm not as much of a connoisseur of flyweight as some others. Yeah, you've got the Pantoja fight sitting there, Askarov. I thought that they fought already. Did Brandon Reno fight him already? I could have sworn that he fought Asker already. Is that, is that my imagination? Perhaps that it is. No, he did. And it was a draw. That's funny. I remember that. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple of these that they could do. Yeah, they've not done the Pantoja fight. Oh, yes, he did. Uh, he had a loss to Pantoja back in 2018. God, I don't even remember that. I do remember the Sergio Pettis loss. Um, but yeah, Crazy. Crazy. Crazy what he's been able to do. Just, you got to be so proud of the guy. And uh, I don't think Figueredo's done by a a long shot either. Does he go to 135 to try and see what he can do there? I don't know, because he's so big at 125. But uh, not some kind of humiliating, devastating loss for him. Just a night where Brandon Moreno seemed like a man possessed. And because he was willing to fight in all these dimensions, and because he makes decisions so quickly and so good what what that would what are you going to do what are you going to do
1: PetMeds has your furry friend protected with the best products to prevent flea and ticks all year long. PetMeds pharmacists connect directly with your vet to save you time and deliver the best products for your pet. Pet PetMeds offers low prices on all flea and tick meds, including Nexgard, Simparica, and more. And PetMeds AutoShip helps you save even more with additional discounts on regular shipments of PetMeds, dog food, and other high-quality supplies. So get ready for all the spring fun now. Visit PetMeds.com and use promo code PODCAST to save 40% on your first auto search for qualified candidates you can view their profiles read reviews and ratings check their availability send messages directly get the help that you need care.com should be every person's go-to all
0: right how about this feature fight amazing <laughs> Leon Edwards defeats Nate Diaz 49 46 across the board didn't win the fifth why didn't he win the fifth basically this was 23 maybe you can even say 24 minutes of Leon Edwards kicking his ass Like for 24 minutes It just looked like every Leon Edwards fight I've basically ever seen Where Dude, Leon Edwards is, is amazing um, if, if you're not new to the, sort of my theories on, on uh, Leon Edwards or sorry, Excuse me, if you are new um, He's like the king of the half position Like what defines his game He's, you know, he's got great accuracy He's a good economy of motion Right, he's well trained He's a high level fighter But I mean The thing that sort of defines him Is he doesn't make a ton of mistakes We'll get to that in a second. But in general, in general, he does not make, I mean, for 24 minutes, he did not make a ton of errors, for hardly any, and when he gets to positions, he finds the way to thread a needle where he can be controlling, and like it scores, and it damages, but if he has to bail on it, he never gets caught, like reversed, and then held underneath, right? He can always sort of dictate when he wants to exit from something, and then just start anew. They're not always the most exciting, or necessarily the most violent, but they're usually pretty thorough, and they're hard to stop. And for 24 minutes, that's exactly what you saw. The leg kicks were a big problem. He was landing those. He was looking for some home run punches. Had a couple of exchange with Nate, exchanges with Nate early. But in general, got the better of that. Was getting the takedown whenever he wanted. Was never in trouble in the grappling department. Had the back a couple of times. Yeah, that that's Leon Edwards, man. That's really, that's what he does, you know. Pot shot you here. Control a position here. Score some points here. You know, threaten something here for a little bit. Doesn't go too far, but it's you know, you definitely have to take it seriously. And then rinse and repeat round over round over round over round. He's because he is so meticulous and so careful, this has been a very winning formula for him. Except he ate a (laughs) one-two in the fifth round on like the last minute or maybe a minute and a half or something like that. And nearly got finished. And I, I, I you know, folks have been asking me, like, why didn't Nate Diaz he, he rocks him with a stiff left, right? And by the way, Nate's really good. I have to go back and watch the tape, but Nate's really good at being like, uh, jab, cross, jab, cross, and then he'll switch the timing up on you. So rather than bop, bop, right? So all the time it'll be like, bop, 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 and then he'll switch the timing and he'll go, bop, bop. That's one of these. He switched the timing on him, and went, the, that left was right behind, and I think... uh Edwards thought he could catch him with the right hook Off the jab and it wasn't there to be caught Because he was playing with the timing And then Diaz rolled underneath It was actually really nice by Diaz Catches him dead to rights He uses the, slap, the Stockton slap to move his head into line a little bit Although he was already in line Because I don't think he understood what was coming And uh, just devastated him with his, with his brilliant left hand He just didn't imagine seeing So he makes a mistake You finally got the guy Who doesn't really make mistakes You finally got him uh, where he didn't just make a mistake but a very costly one where a little extra push could completely take him off of his game and Nate kind of pointed at him he did follow up a little bit on, Actually, actually followed up some more than a little bit he followed up some but there was definitely like a part of me that was like, dude you could you won that? you know I mean we'll never know. We'll never know I, I if you think he might have I I can't talk you out of it I, how can I say that's wrong he might he, he very well might have but he didn't this time. Still, despite like, losing for 23, 24 minutes, that last minute was so redemptive and I think so fun for the crowd and maybe even people watching at home that they won't even care that he, you know, that he was, you know, the real story is he just got thoroughly outclassed. Um, but he's so capable even in the trenches of lost causes that you can't let go of your appreciation for him and you can't ever overlook him. And um, in many ways, even though he lost, it was kind of quintessential Nate Diaz. Like, do I think he suffered a big stock drop from this? I really don't. No, I I don't. I think that it's going to be harder and harder the more losses he has to continually make A-list fights. Now, you might be like, well, Luke, you could just have the Conor trilogy, Uh, 100%. That, that is sort of an ace in the hole, and it, it undercuts the argument that I'm making here. But nevertheless, I think he has to go back to 155 at this point. I, I guess they could run back the Jorge Masvidal fight because they're both coming off of losses. So maybe you could stick around 170 there, but that was an ass-kicking to begin with too. So I tend to think that 155 is a better place. If Connor gets smoked, that's something that you could do. If Nate wins, maybe Nate wants him, and he can just skip the queue again. Like He's still definitely in the thick of a few big fights that I think you could make and that's maybe all that he needs like maybe that's all that matters in the end still if he sticks around for a little bit longer and he keeps losing even with moments where he maybe could have outright won much less you know um well forget all that but you know in this case got a moral victory and a a reminder to the audience about why he's so beloved among other things you know maybe maybe just keeping a few fights uh, that are big on the stove heated up or something that's all he really that's all that really matters to him. Um I guess we'll have to see, but I do think that like this idea like oh he lost nothing in this. Well, he, perhaps it, I can't guarantee you that there's like some you know collapse coming his way because of this, but at the same time like the accumulative weight of losses, it does tend to constrain options even for unusual cases like Nadia. So I don't know exactly what will happen for him, I tend to think it'll probably be either Jorge at 170 but that's unlikely. Although maybe who knows, I, I don't know what Jorge wants. That really kind of depends on him. Uh, the Connor trilogy is kind of sitting out there. There's there, there's some decent ones for him, but I think that the most competitive chances that he has are at 155. I do, I will maintain that. I think if you really believe that you want, you know, that Nate can win again, you know, gonna gonna be tough at 170. Gonna be tough. They're just naturally bigger. They're stronger, and as resilient as he is, and as punishing as he can be sometimes, I feel like he's just physically overwhelmed there a little bit. And you saw here too, like the takedowns were, you know, not that Nate Diaz ever has like the best takedown defense you've ever seen, but it did feel like Edwards was able to get those without a ton of effort. Um, And, you know, you can only imagine what a Colby or a Kamaru or somebody else in that space might do. Um, He's just better suited at 155. But I got to tell you, man, I've never seen someone get, you know, kind of handled for 23, 24 minutes and then come back and do that. We've seen Derek Lewis come back against Volkov but that was a three rounder, not a five. Pretty amazing. Pretty goddamn amazing. Nate Diaz, he that guy continues to pull rabbits out of his hat, man. He just finds ways to not to just stay relevant, but stay exciting. And he was, who, who was the biggest star on this card? Fucking okay, Nate Diaz by a million miles. I mean, that crowd loved him. So I think because he gave them something at the end. Something real, by the way. Again, dude, like, it's not crazy to be like, Nate could have won that fight. We'll never know. He didn't. But, like, that was enough for the audience. That was enough for them to, like, for the magic to stay alive, you know. Uh, Buala Muhammad defeating Demi and Maya. Hard to look good against Demi and Maya. 30-27, 29 you know, Maya couldn't get the takedown and didn't pull guard. Do I need to say a whole lot more? Uh, Bala Muhammad didn't exactly, like, you know, beat him up in the way that Kamaru and Colby did, but I think the Kamaru one was five rounds. Maybe the Colby one was two, the Kamaru one was definitely five rounds. So he wasn't like an offensive dynamo, but it was, he deserved to win, and, you know, that's the end of that. And then Paul Craig, absolutely disfiguring Jamal Hill. Did you guys see how he set it up? He pulls guard. Not a lot of 205 guard pullers, but he pulls guard, and he actually had an overhook on Hill's right arm. Hill, using his, uh, so actually, no, I'm I'm going to be Craig. So he has an overhook on this side. Wait, right, no, other way. He has an overhook on this side. He has an overhook with his left of Jamal's right. Jamal uses his left and presses into the bicep of Craig. So if I'm Craig, I have overhook this side, and I'm getting my bicep pressed here right but he lets hill press that pressing the biceps is okay you can press the biceps you can actually press into the armpits that way it's sort of a way to control the inside space if you want to stand to pass or ground and pound or whatever right controlling that inside space is, is fine That's a fine thing to do but if you've got an overhook or it's like someone grabbing your lapel you got to break this shit man you cannot let people put grips on you a feet and the hips that's a grip overhook that's a grip you know collar tie that's a grip you got to break these fucking grips man if people get grips on you break them break grips grips are key to everything else so what does he do so again I'll be I'll be uh, uh, Paul Craig what he does is overhook here he's getting his bicep pressed here so he's got this controlled and this hands open he lets his bicep get pushed back why does he do that because he's got feet in the hips so with that, he can pull the overhook and he can stretch out Paul Craig. And if Craig is pressing into the bicep and he's letting his arm go back, what happens to Hill's arm? It's fully extended. So when he sits to the armbar, he doesn't sit to the overhook, which, you know, like, Gracie Gracie's very good at that. I think that's the arm bar he hit on uh, JT Torres at ADCC from the overhook. Instead, what he does is, With the elbow with the one where his hand is getting uh the hand is pressing into his bicep so there's a long arm here he actually uh takes the that hand and then passes it to his own and then sits for the arm bar on the free hand so hill thinks the one that he has uh, that craig has the overhook on that that's the one he's going for and he's pressing into the bicep the thing that's he's supposed to do but craig is letting him do that he is letting him press so he can get extended and then he can just pass the hand to himself, and he can flip underneath. And that's exactly what he did. And then once he flipped underneath, he corkscrewed so that he could um, uh, not merely pull Hill to the ground, but then come out on top where he is facing the ceiling. Uh, they're both facing the ceiling, right? Because so if, I, if I flip over for the arm bar, it just, uh, you're going to be bent over. But if I keep rotating, it's going to pull the whole upper body with you. Like you know, if you're just at the edge of a diving board, you just push them over a little bit, and they go right, ass over tea kettle, that's exactly what he did, so a nice little fake out to get the armbar, and then pass it to himself, whipped underneath, and that was all she wrote, fucking mangled the guy after that, Brad Riddell and Drew Dober, I had to do a a CBS interview at the time, so I kind of missed, you know, some key chunks of it, but an unbelievable fight, Um, yeah, all right, let's get to some of your questions here, because I have to go to fucking bed, I have to get up balls early for a wedding, let's see what we got here, all right what makes the most sense for edwards burns the winner of burns versus thompson or masvidal um probably the winner of burns thompson do you think nate gets the finish (sighs) if the fight goes 20 rounds and he can have replacement blood added back into his body after the 10th yeah probably Uh, Vittorio was never rocked, that's true Do you think it was because of his weight or chin Or has Izzy's striking skills become less effective With his defense and movement still being top notch He did have a problem I think getting off some of his better punches I did notice there was something missing there Um, I don't know that his striking is getting less effective What did you think of ESPN uh, Blocking out Bilal's post fight interview Is probably a timing issue do you think Dana will seriously consider having the next Izzy fight in Auckland? They, I mean, you might. You can do it with COVID stuff. If it's with Whitaker and he's in Australia, it's going to be easy for him to get there. You know, um, you know what, 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 what Dana will do, I don't know, but it's not implausible as a suggestion. Uh, what do you think about Rafael Cordero advising Vittorio to go first? Izzy is arguably one of the greatest counter strikers, so I found it a bit ill advised to request and thereby choosing to fight Adesanya's fight. Yeah, I, I just I just didn't love the game plan. There might be an argument to be made that the reason why they went with that game plan is because Vittorio just can't implement a game plan where he's sort of setting traps moving backwards or, you know, letting Adesanya come to him. And it's also, by the way, it should be noted, it's very dangerous to let Adesanya just come to you like yeah Blahovich made it work but you know a lot of other guys can't and also if you know Marvin Vittori when does he do his best work he does his best work in that gear that move forward gear it's not like that's a uh, by the way I gotta have my uh, my z so I can go to sleep it's not like that's a foreign uh, you know uh, thing for him the problem is if that's the best way you know how to win you're gonna beat a lot of guys but you're it's, I mean, it's just not a great matchup against Adesanya. It's just a bad... He's built for that. So you have a unique advantage over most of the pack and then a unique disadvantage at the very top of the pack. I don't know how you solve that problem other than just having more skills so you don't have to fight that way, but that takes time. It's not easy. hmm Zequil. you You're like, oh, Luke... It's bad for you to have that all the time. Yeah, it is. Mm. But it's even worse if I don't get sleep. All right. Ooh, someone suggests Nate versus Tony Ferguson. That's a fun one. Yeah, maybe Nate's got some big fights. Maybe maybe I, I we should be we shouldn't be so quick. Uh yeah, that that might work. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Will you do an in-depth breakdown of Brad Riddell? I would like to talk to Brad about the fight and have him walk me through it. That's what I would like to do. I'm going to try to do that this week. We'll see if he's up for it. Um, Don't you think it's effed up that Bilal didn't get a post-fight interview? Would have been nice. Would have been nice. To Marvin's credit, this person writes, he negated a lot of Izzy's offense and blocked a lot. Only a few calf kicks landed big. That's mostly fair. Again, like, the problem wasn't Vittori's defense exactly. Yes, the leg kicks he had no real answer for, and that was big. But it was just his his offense was just not enough. That, That was his problem. Even when you take away a lot of Izzy's weapons, he has a few, like, dude... It'd be nice to win a chess match with like, you know, uh, a rook, uh, a bishop, maybe your queen if you have to, but if you can win the game with your pawns, win the game with your pawns. That's how Adesanya plays MMA, so to speak, if you want to use a chess metaphor. Sometimes he'll just win with his pawns. If Vittori thinks he won that fight, should he get a psych eval? I think Vittori is has such a strong will that it blinds him to a lot of things if rob tries to wrestle a lot even if unsuccessful could he mitigate is he striking enough to land his own sure if the wrestling is is successful or at least the threat is real. I mean, you have to really establish that threat, you know. Um had Nate finished that comeback, no way Dana doesn't give him a title shot despite doing nothing for twenty four minutes. <laughs> they might have made him president of the fucking company if he had won that. Are you kidding? This guy writes, Moreno stole the show. Agree. I got this pinched nerve in my neck, y'all. It is fucking painful. Not in my neck, it's in my trap. And now it's radiating underneath my arm into my finger. It is a fucking nightmare. Let me turn this way a little bit. God damn, it hurts. How much do you think Figgy's weight cut played into his performance tonight? Probably some i I don't think you could completely divorce it, but that would be a risk he would run every time at this weight class you know the guy has no fat on him by the time he shows up for a fight do i do i do I like uh Robert Whitaker's chances more after tonight not so much after tonight but just after the the recent push that Whitakers had. I didn't see a lot tonight that I thought like, oh, this is the thing that Whitaker could definitely take advantage of. I'm sure Whitaker and his team might have, but like, it's not really about like what I saw tonight per se. Maybe, maybe there's some stuff again. I, you know, we'll, we'll have to see what Whitaker does. But you know, just the Whitaker that I've seen the last few fights has been so rejuvenated, so complete, um, so strong-willed himself. I think that's enough for you to say. You know, does he have a better chance this time around? Yeah, I think he does. Is it possible to get a Mexico or New Zealand card Within the next few months Some of this shit's gonna be hard y'all Because I don't even I don't don't know what the rules are for travel I know like for example to go to Europe You know if you're an American You just have to be vaccinated You know And again I'm not gonna get into some big broad debate about it Uh, You know how many fighters don't want to get vaccinated and therefore aren't eligible for travel. Some will probably, you know, hey, we want to book you in the UK or something. I'll make something up. Um, You can do it. You know, and I realize that there's already some vaccination you have to get for like uh, purposes of residency and whatnot. But um, so I don't know how logistically feasible that is. There's some other issues that might make it like the Auckland one is interesting because you can build a card around so many fighters from that region and you might be able to fill it in with enough people who could get around some of the travel conditions. I don't know what the rules are for vaccinated Americans. Do they have to still quarantine 14 days in Auckland? I don't even know if that's still a rule anymore. So there's a lot of things you have to figure out with that. And Mexico, you know, is just not doing great with COVID. They don't have the same uh medical infrastructure, although the US has got plenty of issues. They still don't even have some of the same infrastructure and, and capabilities that we do. The vaccination rollout been very slow. Um so I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how that's going to go. I don't know. It'd be nice. I think by the end of the year, assuming there's not some major COVID resurgence or something, these will be much more realistic. But right now, it's some of these old rules have to drop. You know what you guys don't realize is like I, I deal with this a lot when like me and BC go to like do Mohegan Sun stuff with Bellator. When COVID hit, there was no there was no playbook. Right. Like no one knew what to do. So they invented all these rules about what you're supposed to do. And some of them, you know, some of them work, some of them don't. But you just, you know, you, you play ball because you're just trying to, you know, you're just trying to get through your day. Now that all these vaccinations start happening. You see a lot of the same rules there. And I'm like, dude, I know that these rules should not be the same. There should be a difference now. And and you saw fans at Bell Friday, on Friday. I'm, so some of them are being eased. I'm just pointing out all around the world not just in the united states all throughout the world all these governments and companies and facilities and institutions they all brought in all this COVID policy and it differs a little bit place to place but now we're slowly trying to undo that it takes time it takes time who's a better fainter sean o'malley or izzy they're both pretty good. I'd say maybe Izzy's a little bit better, but fucking O'Malley's good at it too, man. Um, do you think Izzy is kind of stuck in a not-so-good middleweight division? He can't make 170? No, and he's too small for 205. I'm not... I'm not entirely um, convinced he can't win at 205, but I agree. If if I were, you know, I'm not in a position to advise him. If I were to advise him, I think he could do it, but I would do it not right away. I would put a little bit more work in um, in the grappling department before I could make that leap again, especially if you want to go up against John Jones. I mean, he's going to heavyweight, but, you know, assuming that there's some... Way to make that. There's still some work to do. Big improvements tonight. Big improvements tonight. Those reversals were sweet, but still some work to do. So it says, don't say spoilers. Your video's name is 263 results or USC 263 results. Folks, I know that. And I know that most of you know that. And I know you're like, oh, Luke, you don't have to say spoilers. Everyone knows. No, they don't. <laughs> I can't tell you. Oh, it's only because of the way it's titled in the podcast. I don't want to get spoiled. No, no. If I don't say it, somebody in some chain of custody gets bitter if I don't. So I have to say it every time. All right, how long we have been going here? Let's see. Because I need to go the fuck to sleep. Yeah, I think that's going to be it for today. Yeah, it's been about an hour and seven minutes. Okay, so one more time. Thumbs up on the video. Hit Subscribe. Uh, Morning Combat with Brian Campbell will be out Monday live at 11am Tons of reaction what Much more news, more analysis More results, the whole nine yards um, Thank you guys so much for watching It's super late into the evening And so it's time for us to close it down here